you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, someone said to me that you need to preach what you preached Thanksgiving morning again Sunday. And the problem is uh, it was a different occasion, and it is the same text. It's not the same sermon. This one is much, much longer than that one was um, because, um, you know, you have more time. And if you're going to give a pastor more time to preach, he's going to take advantage of that opportunity to take that time. So if you'd please stand for the reading of God's word, and it is a different approach. The main points are the same, but it's a different approach to the text dealing with what Charles uh, read uh, this morning from 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is a quintessential passage on the resurrection because it was happening at the church in Corinth as they are denying that there is a resurrection from the dead. Paul writes to them and says, if there's no resurrection from the dead, follow your logic, then Christ has not been raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, of all the people in the world to be pitied, Christians are the most to be pitied. But then he comes up with this, but Christ has been risen from the dead. In light of that, in the hope that Isaiah expresses in this text, we are going to approach it this morning. Please give ear to God's word as I read it. You will say, in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, you turned away, your your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say, in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done marvelously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. And let's go to prayer. Pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word. Then I'll lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us as we come to your word now. And pray that you would be with me as I preach your word. May I do so with the help of your spirit, uh, with the passion of God and the unction of your spirit. Be with the congregation. We ask you to take away any unbelief and take away any uh, thing that may interfere with our focus. And pray that we may leave here saying it was good to be in the house of the Lord. We ask this. In Christ's name, amen. Chapter 12 is a one chapter in chapters 1 through 39 that is a chapter of encouragement. Uh, Many of the first portions of the uh, book of Isaiah deal with condemnation and judgment. Until you get to chapter 40, it's entirely different when you get to chapter 40. Uh, It's called the book of comfort. And also in chapter 53 of Isaiah, you've got that great text portraying the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we look at this this morning, uh, I dealt with it basically as a uh, section of Scripture to give thanks for God for His goodness. We're still going to do that. But again, the approach is going to be different as we live in a world that is characterized by turmoil, a great turmoil at this time of our history. Uh, 
you don't have to be a quick thinker or a very contemplative to realize that things are going on that are frightening. Things are going on that are scary. Things are going on that are not good. And so we can ask, well, what's the problem then? Why is it that uh, our world is as it is? Why is it that there is so much expression of anger and hatred that's taking place in our world? Well, some people will say, well, it's a quirk of evolution, obviously. There's some kind of gene that's misplaced something. And in time, it'll correct itself and we'll all live in peace. We'll all live in unity. We'll all be happy all the time. That's not true. We bear God's image. We are created in His image. We bear that image today. Some people say, well, it's a matter of education. If we just educate people, they'll live like they're supposed to live. That's all we need to do. So educated people become sophisticated sinners. That's all that that means. In 1918, November the 11th at 11 o'clock, 11, 11, 11, it used to be called Armistice Day, now it's called Veterans Day. Uh, Armistice was signed to end World War I. It was officially done in, 18, in 1919, but in 1918, uh, the Armistice was signed and Germany surrendered to the uh, Allied forces. And that was the war to end all wars. Uh, the League of Nations was ruling, and yet 20 years later, In 1939, Germany invaded Poland, and the beginning of World War II started. There was a man who lived in Germany. He was a part of the Nazi Party, and he probably was a member of the SS. And by the way, Werner von Braun, who was involved with our getting our men on the moon, uh, who was developing the rockets and working with NASA, was a member of the SS as well. All scientists were members of the SS. Well, this man's name was Josef Mengele. He was a doctor. He was a smart man. He was a well-educated man. But if you had called the butcher of Baghdad, Mr. Hussein, the butcher of Baghdad, this man should have been called the butcher of Germany. He had a fascination with twins. He would see how much pain people could tolerate. He was an ungodly, wicked, wicked man, but he was educated. So education is not the answer then. Education is not how you change the heart. The problem is not external. The problem is not intellectual. The problem is internal. The problem is spiritual. Because by nature, we have hearts that are by rebellious against God. By nature, we have hearts that really have no interest in the things of God, and we're terribly slow to believe the Bible. Well, in the text that Isaiah presents to us here in the 12th chapter, he takes us all the way to the end of the consummation of the ages. He looks at the entirety of the redemption that Christ accomplished. We go from the promises of old to the conception of Christ in the womb of the Virgin Mary, to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, to his life and ministry, to his death and resurrection, and to the consummation at the end of the age, at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have this uh, uh, continual bit of thanksgiving being offered up to God. Well, again, this morning, we're going to approach it rather differently. The main points are the same, but the application is going to be different. 
And we can keep this in mind, that as we look as believers to the end of the age, the consummation of the age, it's at the return of Christ, when all things will be made right, and thanksgiving will be made offered to God, unadulterated thanksgiving and gratitude offered to God, because of this, we can live our lives in hope. And let me ask you this question. When you stand at the grave of a loved one, someone that you loved so much, and they're gone, If the gospel is not true, if Christ has not been raised, that's the end of it. That's the end of it. What does Paul say? If the gospel is not true, let's eat, drink, and be married, for tomorrow we die. So live for today if the gospel is not true. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. That's the hope of the Christian. That's the hope and lifeline of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Isaiah here looks Not knowing fully what's going to happen. He didn't know who Christ was. He did not know who Jesus was. But he knew God's promises. And he knew God's power. And he knew God's faithfulness. And so he looks to that. As he's writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. To that day when the end of things will happen. And there will be great rejoicing. And as we read in the scripture. The resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection. If Jesus Christ is not who he said he was, then at the grave, let's weep and weep and weep because we'll never see them again, ever. That's not the gospel. So this morning, again, the certainty of the resurrection gives us comfort, it gives us courage, and it gives us cheer. Basically the same outline that I used on Thanksgiving morning. Well, then in the first place, then, the, the certainty of the resurrection gives us a good comfort. Uh, he begins this section by dealing with the way that God had treated Israel at one time in their existence, and that is with judgment. And we know as you look at the history of Israel at different times, God's judged them in different ways. The northern kingdom fell to Assyria in 722 B.C. They were taken over. The southern kingdom fell to Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C., and that is what Isaiah deals with primarily, the fall of the southern kingdom. Why did that happen? Why is it that God gave them over to the Assyrians in the northern part of the kingdom and to Babylon in the southern part of the kingdom? Well, it was because of their sin. It was because of their idolatry. Listen to this. God is not like you to worship other gods. Number one, they're false gods. Number two, he's jealous. He doesn't like it, doesn't accept it. And that's what had been happening in Israel. And I think I said Thursday, I couldn't remember if I said it or not. But of all the people in the world that should have known better and should have known what to do, it was Israel. They had the prophets, had the preachers. They had those going to them and telling them the word of God. They should have known the truth. They should have understood the truth. And they should have been willing and happy to live in the reality of God's word. Well, the hardness of their heart, they turned against it. So God had dealt with them as those who were unfaithful. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4 says this, the earlier part of the book, A sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. That's description of the Old Testament church at this time in its history. Well, 
As believers, we are to live in the reality of the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read in the book of Matthew that we are to be salt and light in the world, not as Israel was being. You cannot identify Israel as being any different from the pagan worlds, pagan societies around them. Can we judge the church differently from the rest of the world? We should be able to. The things that you believe as a Christian should not be the same things the non-believer believes. The things you treasure as a tr- Christian should not be the same things the non-believers treasure. You should be markedly different in what you believe and what you think and in your passions and your hopes and your certainties. Entirely different. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says we are to be salt. Well, you know what salt was used for in the Old Testament. It was to be a preservative. So the church then is to be a preservative in society, if you will, uh, calling it back from immorality, calling it back from those who live as if there is no accountability to God, or that even God exists, and also to be light. So being salt is kind of a negative aspect to it. It is, it is preservative. It keeps things from rotting. Uh, you can look around in our society, you can see rottenness. Can you not? You can, right? Yeah? You can see things that are bad. They're rotten. They're not good. We could die. I'm not going to do it. I know some things that have happened that y'all have no clue. And they're unbelievable. And you're not going to have a clue. And I'm not going to tell you. So don't ask me. There's nobody in this church. But you hear things like that. And you think, how in the world can anybody, anybody do that kind of thing? Well, that's their own sin. It's their own depravity. It is their crowding out of their lives any interest in God whatsoever. Well, as a church, then, we are to say, that's not right. That's wrong. Well, why? Because God says it's wrong. And just practically, practically, living in rebellion against God brings ruin to families. It brings ruin to our society. You all remember... And I am going to mention this. When those believers were marched out and they were beheaded, and it was recorded and put on social media simply because they were Christians. And that was deplorable. How can we not look at that and be offended by that type of thing? It was a deplorable act. And so, again, the church is to serve as salt and light in the world, not be those who pollute it, not be those who in some way help to ruin it, rather those who help preserve it. Well, Israel of old, due to the hardness of their heart, they rejected God. They have become involved in self-centeredness, and they lived their lives as if there was no God at all. And so God then, who had proclaimed himself before them, these people had the Old Testament. They had had instructions from Moses, and God declared himself to be in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, that he was a holy God. Listen to what is written in those two verses. Uh, the Lord passed before him, that is, before Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity upon the fathers of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And you say, well, that's just kind of harsh. I always think of God as a God who is a God of love. 
if someone came into your home and took your wife and abused her and murdered her and stole your children, would you say, that's okay because I'm a loving guy and I'm just so full of love, I'm going to let it go. You wouldn't do that. God will not do that either. Far be it from God to allow such a thing to happen and not be offended by it and not to call it to account. Uh, He is a God who does not in any way overlook sinfulness and iniquity on the part of anyone. He is a God who is holy. He is a God who is righteous. He is a God who is just as well. And he calls people to account. And you notice the term here that that Isaiah uses in uh, verse 4. He calls God the Holy One of Israel. He will remind them of the nature of God. Throughout the book of Isaiah, God is called the Holy One of Israel. To remind them what their God is like. You know what it means to be holy? Uh, Actually, it means to be separate from. The literal translation would be to be separate from. That's what holy means. And so God then is separate from sinfulness. He is separate from evil. He is separate from all things that are wrong. He is altogether through and through pure and holy. And so he reminds these people these, that he's writing, uh, that is the rest of the Old Testament church, that their God that they serve is a God who is holy and therefore he will not have them worshiping other gods or doing the things that they are doing. And they were doing things that were simply not pleasing to him. They were being greedy. They were being hypocritical. Uh, they were oppressing the poor. They were taking advantage of those who did not have the ability to take care of themselves. Uh, they were stealing money from them. They were terribly worldly in their thinking. They ignored the uh, um, uh, obligations of their religious practices. They were living as practical atheists. Are there times when we live as practical atheists where we have no hope? We have no passion for Christ. We have no passion for God, really. And there are times when, if we are honest with ourselves, we get so caught up in the lives and the things of the world that Christ is set way back on the back burner, and we tend to be forgetful. Well, at that point, we're living as practical atheists. I'm not saying we are atheists, but we are living as practical atheists when we fail to bring God into our lives. We are living as those who believe or acting as if God does not exist. In one verse to read to you, Hebrews 10 and verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What Israel experienced was a temporal judgment. There is a spiritual judgment coming at the end of the ages where the people that are alive at the coming of Christ call the mountains to fall upon them and to hide them from the Lamb of God. But see, we won't be there. If you're trusting Christ, you're not going to be there. Rather, you're going to be those who delight in seeing the Lord Jesus returning and coming back. And so uh, many of these people have hardened their hearts, and the prophet is seeking to get their attention. If you saw the movie Jaws, you know that it's been 50 years since Jaws was released. It was 1975. 
I saw it at the Dome Theater in Hattiesburg. That's hard to believe. 50 years. Anyway, there's a scene in the movie where they're talking about uh, catching the shark, and there's a character played by Robert Shaw named Quint, and they're talking and they're arguing. He's sitting by a chalkboard, and he takes his hand, and he puts it on the chalkboard, and he slowly scrapes his fingernails down the chalkboard, and it sets your teeth on edge. And so he gets their attention. Isaiah is trying to get their attention. He's trying to set their teeth on edge with the things that he says here. Uh, Isaiah has been told to preach. Two things are going to happen from his preaching. This is the early part of the book. One thing his preaching is going to do is to set the hearts of those who are against God even harder. They want the light in his preaching. They do not want to hear his preaching. And Isaiah says, how long is this going to happen? How long is this going to go on? And God tells him, until I'm ready for it to be over. Until judgment is exercised upon these people. But that's not the end of it. God is faithful. God always has a people. God always is gracious and kind. Those who harden their hearts against him make the choice to do so. They choose to do so. It's not as if they really, really want to please God. They really want to come into a relationship with God, and he just won't let them. It's not that at all. It's that they have chosen to be rebellious against God. But the wonderful news is for us is that our God is always ready and open to take us back into his family. If we come in sincerity and we come in repentance, he's going to welcome us as his children. He's not going to say this, you messed up too much. You messed up big time. And I am tired of it. And I'm tired of you, so go away. That's not the God of the Scriptures. That's not the God of Christ. That's not the God who is the God of our salvation. And again, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I think I read this Thanksgiving morning. But as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. The best days of your life here, think about it. What's the best day you've ever had? If you could name just one thing, it would be hard to name one particular thing, I reckon. There have been so many things in my life that have been quite delightful. I grew up at the outskirts of heaven. Quite delightful. I did. I grew up in the best place in the world ever. No one, I feel sorry for anybody that did not grow up in Hattiesburg, Mississippi at 700 Merle Street. Great place. A lot of fond memories. But the best memories that I have pale to insignificance when God reveals to us what great things he has in store for those who love him. Which will ultimately come the second coming of Christ. Now, when we die, do you have any fear or trepidation about dying? Well, as Charles was talking earlier, as he was going over his lesson, we know, according to Scripture, when we die, we go to be with the Lord. That's what the Scriptures tell us. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today shall be with me in paradise. Not purgatory. No such thing as purgatory. Paradise. Which looks back to the Garden of Eden, actually phrase does. And Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. So then that, that fear and trepidation of death should be removed from us. should be taken away from us completely. We can close our eyes in peace and confidence. Nobody wants to die. Great movie. I encourage you to watch it. Angels with the Dirty Faces. James Cagney. 
James Cagney's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. He's going to be electrocuted, electric chair. He's a tough guy. Everybody knows James Cagney, right? And Pat O'Brien's in the movie with him. Pat O'Brien's a were There were thugs together. Pat O'Brien became a priest. James Cagney became a professional criminal. Pat O'Brien begs him to turn yellow on the way to the gas chamber. Cagney won't do it. Cagney could, great facial expressions that guy could make. And they show it in shadows where he's begging for his life. And he scrabs on to the radiator. Again, this is all filmed and showing the shadows. And he's crying. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And he's clinging there, trying to pry his hands off the radiator. And he grabs it again. For the believer, we should not have that trepidation of death. And what it takes for us is faith. Do you believe the word of God or not? Do you believe what he says to us or not? When he talks about to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we also know that God is behind our redemption. And the prophet says, you are my salvation. Philippians 1 verse 6. He who began a good work and you will complete it until the day of completion. God began a work. He's not going to let us go. We may fail. We may fall. We may uh, disappoint. But he is not going to in any way take away from us that work that he has begun. And then uh, quickly moving along, uh, as those who are certain of a future resurrection, we can have great courage in our lives. Our God is a God who will never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what we are dealing with, there may have been times in your own life when you feel like God is so far away from you that there is no sense of his presence at all. And you feel rather discouraged. And you feel rather frightened, rather downcast. God hasn't gone anywhere. He doesn't go anywhere. Jesus said himself, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so because our God is a God who is faithful, and because we know the certainty of our own resurrection, we can be of good courage always. What does it say in the scriptures? Don't be afraid of man. What can they do but kill the body? Rather be afraid if you're going to be afraid of anybody. If you're the one who has the power to throw the body and soul into hell. God's wrath must be exercised. Because it is a part of his nature to do so. Again, uh, he will not let uh, that which is wrong go unpunished. Any more than we should desire to see somebody who's done something terribly wrong go away scot-free. We can be of good courage because God is on the throne, because Christ rules. We can be of good courage because we know that he loves us. And the last thing, very quickly, is that of the blessings we're going to have, we can be of good cheer. I've lost people I've loved deeply. Parents are both gone. My grandparents are gone. I've got a brother that's gone. A lot of people I know and love deeply are gone. There is a cheerfulness in recalling that they are with Christ. There is a cheerfulness in recalling that I will see them 
again. Uh, There is a cheerfulness in recognizing uh, that the time will come when all of those who have died in Christ will be raised from the dead. And it says in the scriptures, we will be with the Lord forever. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the power of God. And as Isaiah here shouts and sings for joy, Oh, what happens of Zion, for great in the midst of, of your, great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. That our God is altogether, totally, through and through, righteous and holy, and he will not ever lie to us. As he promised, we're going to be raised from the dead. As he promised, we're going to see those we have loved before coming out of the grave. The sea will give up as David read in the scriptures. Now, today, we have people dealing with serious illnesses in this congregation. Greg Poston, his wife, Julene. It's no small matter uh, to be told that you have cancer. It's even a greater concern when they say this, we can't do anything for you. I love M.D. Anderson. They will do what they can do, but they'll say this to you. That's it. We've done what we can. We can't do anything else. We'll make you comfortable. They'll let you know that. And I appreciate that about that hospital. It's a great hospital. But that's not the end for the Christian. Death is not the end for the believer. When Woody Margaret's wife died, she had Alzheimer's. Uh, they were dear, dear. She was a dear. He still is a dear friend. He's a pastor over in Baton Rouge, South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. I called him and said to him, she doesn't have Alzheimer's anymore. Not anymore. The ravages of sickness and the ravages of age and and the time brings upon us affect her no more. And we can rest in the reality of God's power because of the resurrection of Christ. Had Jesus not been raised from the dead, had that not taken place, this church wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. Had that not taken place. What does it say in Romans chapter 1 and verse 4? He was proved to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead. And we live in this truth. Our God is faithful. Therefore, brothers, since we have the confidence into the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that has opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, we have a great high priest to draw over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with the heart being sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies being washed and drawing near with comfort, with the confidence that God hears us. There may be a time in your life when you're thinking to yourself, I have no uh, reason, I have no right, I have no, I'm just too, uh, too ungodly to be here before God in prayer. Well, that's the only place you can be. That's the only place you should be. And to know his presence and strength in our life. Well, as Isaiah takes us to the last day, there will be a day of great rejoicing. It won't be scary. You know, the, the, one of the worst movies ever made was called Plan 9 from Outer Space. 
Yeah, it was made by Ed Wood. It was about a vampire. It was about resurrection from the dead. Was, it, that was a, supposed to be it was a terrible movie. It was supposed to be scary. It wasn't scary at all. It was funny. It was so bad. A lot of horror movies have people coming up from the dead. It's not going to be a horror. It's going to be a day of celebration when that happens. And as, as Isaiah talk, mentions here, it will be a day of great rejoicing for the church. Let's pray.